welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K., I'm Mariah Rose. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on uh, this day. If it's your first time listening, this is a podcast devoted to 80s stuff. Mm-hmm. And we'll be talking about something that came from the 80s today. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> what a revelation. Yeah. For those of you returning, thanks for joining us again. It's a very nice day out. We're recording at a little bit different time. Different space. Yeah. I, actually, I don't mind this so much. Minus the dogs walking around constantly. Yeah. I like this setup a little bit better. Yeah, it's nice. We're in our bedroom, actually, but we got a, we've got a big bedroom, so it's nice and spacious. Yeah, it's like, it feels like an office. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Not that anybody can visualize that. Well, I Imagine think an should. office in your bedroom. Yeah, except for it also has a skeleton, a full skeleton in it, and a wall of masks. Yeah. Okay. Okay, there's... You've got a visual. There you go. What have you been up to since the last time we spoke? Because we don't talk only when we record episodes. Otherwise, we have a vow of silence to not discuss anything because we don't want to ruin the magic of of episodes. So all day, every day between the two-week sessions, we just pass each other and wink and nod. Totally separate lives. Yeah, um... You know, just kind of L-I-V-I-N, man. There's not a lot going on. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a really busy season of just uh, lots of odds and ends. But I feel like we're coming to a conclusion. So I'm kind of looking forward to what is coming as opposed to what is currently happening, which is intense. (laughs) Okay, good. What about you? Uh, A lot of spring cleaning. I've been working on my album which I, was going to be an album, then was an EP, and now it's looking like it's back to an album because mm-hmm. that's just the way it goes sometimes. Teeter-tottering back and forth. It's on its own journey, and I'm just following along. Yeah, you are. Uh, speaking of music, I'm going to a concert tonight. I Oh, yeah. For those who know me personally, I'm very antisocial and very introverted, and I don't go out <laughs> ever. <laughs> and so I have a friend who's really been pushing me to like do stuff and, and I never do. So I decided, fine, I'll go out and do something. Fine, I'll go have a good time tonight. So I am going to a concert tonight to see somebody who I grew up loving and have never seen a concert before, Ministry, mm-hmm. the industrial band who was very uh, important in my formative years. And a weird double bill with Gary Newman, of all people. That's pretty cool. Really cool. I feel but a weird combo. A weird combo, but I could see it working. Yeah. And as somebody who comes from a background in electronic music and all kinds of synth stuff, seeing Gary Newman is kind of it's like a legend, a living legend yeah. of somebody who was really on the ground level of bringing synth music to the forefront and and popularizing it. So it'll be really cool to see him. And I he just released a new album not too long ago, and I was checking it out, and he still sounds incredible. So I'm assuming it'll be a really fun show either way, but I'm doing it. I'm going to get out of the house. It's so funny because you've been gearing up for like three days to go out and have a nice time. <laughs> yeah, with a, like a nice friend. Somebody you really need, like. like three weeks to recover afterwards. <laughs> we are so different. It's funny that we ended up together because I am very much the opposite, very extroverted, all friends and all the time. And you're like, I'm just going to hide away. <laughs> this yeah. is big, big for you. Yeah, I'm very friendly with the few people I can text, you know, online or something. But in real life, it's it's not the same. I'm, um, no. I give the illusion I'm very 
very friendly. Well, and you outgoing. are friendly and yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm friendly, just not outgoing. No, you just prefer to hide away from everything. Yeah, I'm already like, man, do I have to really go to that concert tonight? <laughs> I just want to hang out at home. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, we got a podcast to do. Oh. This week. Oh, yes. We're coming in strong. We're dipping back into the well of somebody we've covered several times on this podcast already. Snuggling back into the cleavage. Oh, lots of cleavage. <laughs> As I said before, uh, 80s are bust. <laughs> Emphasis on the busts. So this week we will be discussing the 1984 sci-fi epic adventure. Are we calling this sci-fi? Of course it's sci-fi. There's a laser. There's a lot of sci-fi elements. Anyway, the sci-fi. Okay. Because it has a laser. Classic. (laughs) The Lost Empire. The Lost Empire is a blistering, action-packed adventure story that will keep you on the edge of your seat. A beautiful undercover police agent avenging the death of her brother finds herself entering a bizarre and deadly world where bloodthirsty games, sorcery and super science conspire to dominate the world. This is the very heart of evil. Beautiful women, relentless action, and dazzling special effects in The Lost Empire, a major new release for September. Okay, The Lost Empire. Wow, I've known about this film. I was under the impression it was an older film. I didn't realize it was kind of a classic 80s cheesy film until a friend of mine just recently picked up a copy on VHS and... And then I looked into it and realized it was a Jim Wynorski film. And then then I really wanted to see it because he's like podcasting gold. So we have already covered several several of his things. But this was actually his very first feature film. Oh, really? Yeah, I think we discussed it. Last one of his we did was Chopping Mall, maybe. Oh, yeah. And we discussed it then that he got his start working for Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. And then finally got his big break with this one. So there's a, I think we did a little bit of a background on him, so we don't need to do it here in that last episode. But this was his first feature. Like I said, we've done Chopping Mall, mm-hmm. which is one of our personal favorites. And since... we referenced it in our last episode, too. Did we? Yeah. Oh, that's right, because we did Phantom of the Mall. I forgot about <laughs> that. <laughs> and we also covered Not of This Earth with Tracy Lords. That was a really mm-hmm. fun one. And then we did another one of his that he didn't direct, but he wrote, and we both really love this one too, Sorceress. Remember with the oh, ending yeah, yeah. that's got the epic battle? Oh, yes. So he is no stranger to the Laser Graves podcast. Yeah, he's so right up our alley. We're going to take a look at his first directing efforts, which is a funny story how it came to be, and I'll get into that later. Okay. But it delivers on all levels that you expect from a Wynorski film. Just funny. I mean, he came out of the gates establishing his brand and it's never changed. Yeah. You know, okay. Like to tease people in, let's say we have body inspections. We have robot tarantulas. Oh, there's some sci-fi. Robot tarantula. Yeah, there's lots of sci-fi. We have some loose, like native mysticism. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, We have a penis-shaped laser. We've got... Brainwashing. um, Asian like mysticism as well. We've got ninjas. Mm-hmm. 
A gorilla? Oh, there is a gorilla. Do you know the story behind that? No. We'll get to it. <laughs> okay, because I do know how that came to be also. Okay, I'm very curious. There's a little bit of everything. This is something that I really love about 80s films is, yes, they're dumb, but when 80s did cheesy adventure films, they were so much fun. They were just, anything went. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, as is the case with this film, somebody could come on set one day and go, oh, by the way, I have this. And somebody goes, cool, that's now in the movie. Totally. It always feels like this. This has a similar vibe to House 2, where it's just a mixed bag of everything in this Mm -hmm. script. I would say it's also kind of like a Sarah Silverman comedy, because there is something to offend everyone. (laughs) Just everyone yeah but it's more just typical 80s not out of the way offensive <laughs> it's just, just it's like casually offensive yeah. on all levels yeah it's uh it's a real fun one though there's there's a lot happening in this that we'll get to and it opens up really really strong so <laughs> i mean it literally opens <laughs> on, on boobs. boobs yeah it was fun this is a first time watch for both of us mm-hmm. and like i said i had high expectations but before the opening credits even start, this had already delivered on on all accounts. Okay, so we do have to, instead of doing a full walkthrough, we do have to set up where we're going here. Yeah. Because it's pretty darn difficult to understand what's happening. And don't worry, you'll never really know. Nobody can know. Yeah. It's a, a mystical secret. Of <laughs> it's part case. of the magic of this. Okay, question though, before we get into it. Wynorski, like Wyoming, or Winorski, like Winona? Do we know? It's just Win- Winorski. It's fast. It's either or. Oh, okay. Winorski, Winorski. Like Wyoming? I don't know. I've heard it both. Okay. I'm I just really curious. Care. I care deeply. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, then on your own time, go look up an interview. I won't. Okay. Okay. So this film opens, as we said, it's like a circle right on cleavage. Yeah. Not nude cleavage, just the cleavage part. So a woman in a low cut top. It reminds me of how Star Wars films kind of go, you know, they pan from the titles and the stars and then they come down and zoom in or do like a pinhole. This was more uh, pinhole. Zoom out to reveal your first opening shot. Yeah. But the pinhole is just basically uh, skin color with a line in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then as it zooms out, it reveals that it's just a giant set of boobs. Yep. And we are in a jewelry shop. So (laughs) starting on boobs in a jewelry shop in Chinatown. So Boobs McGee is like... California babe uh-huh. and she's trying on jewelry she chooses a necklace a diamond necklace and it's funny she hands him a bunch of hundreds the owner mm-hmm. and he runs it through the credit card machine because he's <laughs> so taken by her beauty and she scoots off that's it but right even then we see like a little tickle of something behind them but it's not clear until she leaves yes and then it's revealed that there's some sort of magical stone creature it's a pig face statue with a snake coming out of its mouth but it's also wrapped around its head and it's got a jeweled eye that keeps glowing one red eye yes (laughs) yeah and we'll quickly learn what those are because somebody is coming to get them so three ninjas not the three ninjas from the 90s oh man that would have been awesome (laughs) kickback surf ninjas uh three ninjas uh reveal themselves uh to the jewelry store owners or an owner so the 
Boob Girl's gone. Yeah. And it's just three ninjas and this small shop owner guy. This is all just the opening scene. And it's so great because instead of pulling out throwing stars and throwing them, they drop them like a yo-yo. Yes, they look exactly like ninja star yo-yos. It's what they are. But then they start spinning really fast. Yeah. Were they trying to hypnotize? No, it's like a force field because the owner pulls out a gun, starts shooting at them, and somehow these three random ninja stars that are just kind of down by their waist are deflecting any and every bullet coming at them. Well, kind of, but there's one who's like moving his hips too, like he's just scooting away from the bullet. I really liked this approach. (laughs) This is a technique of using a throwing star I've never seen before. Anyway, one of those throwing stars is thrown at the old man, and it hits him in the back of the oh, head. Yeah, that's pretty good. And he crashes through the like door, the glass door of his shop, and alarms sound. And immediately, there are two squad cars like pulling up. Yeah, and these ninjas are trying to pry this jeweled eye out of the sculpture mm-hmm. because we get a whole backstory. Like Star Wars, with the the credits, you know, with the synopsis of the film that gives us the whole background information. And it's it's pretty over the top. And they also give us this back backstory information a little bit later. So you double down on it. Yeah. What do they call the eyes of Avalon or something? Avatar. Oh, yeah. The eyes of Avatar. Yes. So it it holds all these magical powers. It's really over the top. So they're trying to get this eye. And the three policemen run in, and they're, like, squatting weirdly, too. One is in a full, very low squat, which I found impressive. But there's a battle between these ninjas and the police. Two of the police killed. One, he is, is it a throwing star, or is he knifed in the chest? One gets a throwing star. The one that ends up surviving. Yeah. Because he, like, turns around and then stabs one of the ninjas. Right. And that's really important that he survives. Just at least for a bit. Yeah. So, anyway, one police officer has survived. And then we skip away from this scene. We'll come back to it. Yeah, this is when we get to the opening credits. So, it was... What a way to start the the movie. Big. And we're just going to continue to build from here. Because after that, we go to a school, an elementary school, where children have been held hostage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you forget? No, I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah, and we get this motorcycle, mysterious motorcycle person. Looks kind of like the, the Wraith. You remember we covered that Oh, yeah. One? So there are, like, normal police procedures happening. There are police outside negotiating with uh, um, hostage takers. And then, yeah, a lone wolf, the Wraith, comes up. And is like, you know, screw this noise. And they just go. You can't tell who it is. They're very mysterious. And they just come plowing into the school where we have like three kind of like almost 50s style thugs. <laughs> oh, totally. They're like out of West Side Story. Totally. Yeah. And uh, she, well, spoiler, the mysterious black figure comes in and kicks all of their butts, like shooting. Yeah. While there are children there, Mysterious Figure does not care. No, she shoots up the place with the kids all around. Yeah, the kids don't get hit, I guess. That's just how you handle business. And then, as the last one's dying, he looks up at this black figure. It takes off the helmet, and he's like, oh, dang, because he dies (laughs) to a babe. (laughs) He doesn't say that, but his eyes do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's implied. (laughs) (laughs) And it's this blonde babe. 
she, 80s well, babe. Very much a Jim Wynorski type babe. Yeah. He has oh, a, yeah. He has a look. Kind of like how Andy Sedaris, too. Like, they, yeah. these directors that did all these exploitation 80s films. She could hop right onto the set of Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Yeah, they have a very similar vibe yes. between the two of them. Yep. Large-breasted, very thin... Very bleached Blonde. hair, yeah. The, it's a whole thing. It's it a, is. It's a California look. vibe. And she just embodies all of it. Oh, yeah. She She's does. Quite the character, but we meet another central character right here, too, who accidentally gets hit by her. Yeah, she punches him and gives him a bloody nose. And it's this FBI. Is he FBI agent? Federal agent Rick Stanton. He's like a dollar store Tom Atkins because he's got the mustache. He's supposed (laughs) to be smooth talking, but uh, he's got some eyes on him, too. Yes. Oh, and we should say the mysterious Wraith figure. Her name is Angel Wolf. Oh, that's a good name. Angel Wolf with an E at the end of Wolf. This film is so fast paced because it went from the Asian market store that got... Chinatown jewelry store. Chinatown got robbed by the ninjas. Hard cut to 50s thugs holding Mm -hmm. children hostage to a hard cut... To full sex scene. Yeah. She and this federal agent are like, hey, I just gave you a bloody nose. Let's go hump at my house. What is, What does he say afterwards? There's a line in there that made me laugh out loud where he says, nice bust earlier. <laughs> and she says, I thought you'd be used to them by now. And he said, no, at the school. <laughs> That's pretty good. So also the sex scene, it goes on for far too long, of course, as as is the the I think trend at this time yeah. and at this particular price point in cinema, when you have eighty three minutes for a movie, solid twenty is gonna be boobs. Yeah, hopefully. And so it's a very long sex scene with uncomfortable kissing. Where oh, it you, does have that weird kiss. He's like kissing her, like the bridge of her nose, but it's like accidental and then he goes with it. It's I think what thing. bothered me is that the sound is really boosted. So you hear all the like, yeah. it's really gross. Yeah, there is a lot of spit sounds. <laughs> oh, okay. It's awful. Anyway, so they're kissing. And then the following morning, it's post-coital morning. Angel gets a phone call that her brother, who is also a cop, but a rookie cop, not a pro cop like her, has survived a ju- the jewelry attack. So he was the one on the floor that almost died. I love everything about this next scene. This hospital scene is the best scene in the whole movie. It's ama- and they only got one take because <laughs> I read in the fun facts that, believe it. that there was an emergency at the hospital. And they're like, you guys got to get out of here. So the one, the one, what they managed to do in oh. this short amount of time is cinematic gold. Because she walks in wearing this ridiculous... Evil Knievel style sequence jumper. Yeah. Completely low cut. So her boobs are hanging out. <laughs> to go see her brother. To go see her brother who's been <laughs> mortally wounded and is in a gown dying. They're about to do emergency surgery. Uh-huh. And somehow, even though he's been admitted to a hospital, is about to have surgery, reveals that he is holding one of the throwing stars in his hands. Yeah, he's got her a ninja star. He hands it to her. He tells her the devil exists and the eye knows where to find him. And he then repeats one of the best lines in the movie that comes up over and over. Find him. Get him. And then it pans away. Find him. Get him. (laughs) (laughs) The acting, this brother's acting... All the acting in this well, is really amazing. It's weird, too, because they're like, he's crashing. Like, the <laughs> start CPR, but he's like, 
still conscious and he just kind of like falls back and says find him get him and she just kind of casually walks away and starts talking to agent rick stanton and they're they're like we got to do cpr and then he dies at some point yeah i like when she finds out that he dies too that remember when the two cops come to the door oh yeah and she goes oh like she's just very non I, I don't know how to describe it. She's she's not really bothered. Yeah, by the it brother. seems like oh I, darn. Oh man, it's pretty funny. Okay, so it's the whole thing. If you watch this movie, really pay attention, really take in the acting in that particular scene because it is Chef's kiss all around to everybody yeah. involved. But to to move forward, she is informed and brought up to speed about this secret organization that exists and well, all the stuff that we got in the title sequence, that whole backstory. Right, but Rick, Agent Rick Stanton is like, oh yeah, that, that throwing star your brother has. Let me tell you all of this <laughs> yeah. information I just so happen to have. And he's like, um, there's this whole legend about Lee Chuck... Yeah, who's a wizard, like a magical sorcerer. He's he's immortal as long as he can give the devil a soul snack a day. So he, yeah. he has to give a soul to the devil to live forever. Um, oh, is this where they talk about all the places he's been? Yeah. And they say he was in on the Titanic. Yeah, just there. Like, like listing off all these places that he's responsible for all these natural disasters. Uh, yeah, but he still has to give a soul every day, even if he gave 50 the day before. So that seems like a lot of extra work. Yeah, so she's like, oh, well, this isn't cool. We're going to go after this guy then if he's responsible for my brother's death. This yeah. is an avenging story. Yeah, so she goes to the crime scene and she's like looking at her brother's tape outline. And then there's this whole subplot where there's another agent, uh, Charles Chang. He comes in and he's like, "You, what you need is the Eye of Avatar because uh, that's how Lee Chuck is living because there's like a dragon god from Lemuria, Lemuria <laughs> which is a real like old timey theory that occultists kind of believed in. It's just nonsense. But Anyway, they kind of attach themselves to that. And they're like, if you have both eyes, you have all the power in the world. Yeah. And they're wondering where the second eye is. Little did they know when she was at the crime scene, the eye magically floated through the air and landed in her purse. It did. So uh, apparently (laughs) um, somehow, and this is part of the the storyline that's confusing. There's also a cult involved called Sindo. Yes. And I, I, okay, so Lee Chuck, the ancient character, is also Sindo, but not. From what I was reading, they're separate characters, but also the same, played by the same actor. Okay, and so they have this full organization where they have a private island. Yes. Where they have a whole complex that they <laughs> oversee. And we're going to get... I mean, we get to spend a lot of time on this island. It's pretty incredible. And this is this is it. So she learns about Sindo. And very luckily, Sindo is trying to create like a terrorist army of babes. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> so here they go. 
um, okay, how do we get into this terrorist army? And one of them's like, oh, guess what? He only takes three babes at a time. Yeah, so you need to find two, two more, more if you want to go infiltrate yes. this uh, terrorist organization. So one of them she gets really easily. She already knows uh, this character. Well, it's not easy because she has a call in a favor and we don't really understand it. She walks up into the mountains or rides up on a horse. <laughs> That's right. Rides up into the mountains and there's like a native man sitting near a fire. And she calls in a favor and he's like, okay. And then he turns into pink like fairy dust and disappears. Yeah. And then she in front of the fire says something. What's the character's name that she summoned? White Star. White Star. You said if ever I need you to call, I need you now. And then, oh boy, who appears? Oh gosh. White Star is is, is uh, quite the feast for the eyes. She's something else. She is um she is quite a character she comes out in white leather which the actress actually designed her own i believe it she's top heavy we'll say that (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how to describe it yes um yes she's a top heavy i think we'll just stick with that and let your mind go anyway she agrees she's like on board with you angel angel and white star they go to like a diner uh-huh. And I think this is just to show that they can work together. Some guys like want to rape them, but the women are like not going to have it. And oh, yeah. They, they just show off up. their skills a little bit. And they're like, this is cool. We've got two, but we need a third. And Angel's like, ah, I know the third. Let's go to a woman's prison and watch a woman's prison fight. Oh, yeah. I do like that when... It opens up. We have this ridiculous villain that's in the prison. She takes off. She has like the prison uniform. Takes it off to reveal this S&M outfit underneath with, <laughs> with a whip. With whip. <laughs> Starts whipping. whipping at this lady. They're rolling around. They have, they fall in the mud and now it's mud wrestling. Yep. And the two warrior women look over at the warden, the prison warden. They're like, how come you're allowing this to happen? And he, I appreciate the honesty. He just says because it's fun to watch. And he watches. <laughs> and he just watches. And these I, two women beat each other up in the mud. I really thought that the S&M woman was going to be their third. I did too. And it wasn't. It's this more blonde babe just a, who they have to then talk to afterwards while she's in the shower naturally. Yes. They can't have a talk to her while she's clothed. They they need to talk to her while she's showering. So yeah. She's got mud on her face. But... She got a little mud on her face and that's about it. But really paying a lot of attention to washing her boobs. So she's a convict that our lead Angel had busted. Yeah. But Angel knows that she's got the skill set that they need for their third. And mm-hmm. now we have this trio of warriors that are going to go infiltrate a demonic cult run by an evil wizard on a magical island. Yes. I also like that she's like, I can get you out on parole because the the, um, angel or Heather McClure, the inmate, she's like, how am I getting out of here? And she's like, I can get you on parole now. Like instantly. Hop through the legal system. It's fine. So long story short, they all board a plane to the secret island with a line of other busty babes. And the plane is overseen by a guy named Koro, who oh. is this huge tattooed bald guy with gigantic eyebrows that sometimes appear, sometimes disappear. We thought maybe there were like two different characters, but no. No, there's just some scenes where his gigantic eyebrows aren't on his face. <laughs> he's got like big red eyebrows. They're huge. So he's the... Like the head, the henchman's, the right-hand man. Of, of Sindo. Of Sindo, yeah, of the, of the lead. Yeah, so he brings them 
brings them and the other women who are being recruited to the island where they have to do like physical challenges. First physical challenge on the island, obviously, is full body searches. Yeah. (laughs) And then they're going to go into a combat setting where they're going to battle each other out. And it just turns into Mortal Kombat. I mean, it's definitely got a Mortal Kombat vibe. What's interesting is this not only predates, of course, Mortal Kombat, this also predates like Big Trouble in Little mm-hmm. China, and it had that vibe to it. Cutting so, edge. Yeah, Cutting I was edge. surprised by that. I, you know, it's um, the one that doesn't get talked about. It's something. It is something. This is also where I guess the sci-fi element comes in, because you're probably thinking, where's the sci-fi in this? We do see a penis laser, which I don't know what the purpose of that laser was. Do you remember? It just makes people disappear. Okay, so it's just a disappearing laser. But there can be no doubt that it's a penis-shaped laser. Uh, Sindhu is, like, in... um, We see him, like, covered only the back of him. He's got, like, a silk robe on and a snake. So we never see his face for quite a while. Mm -hmm. But the women start to, like... Once they pass through their physical... Like, their physicals, where their, like, boobs are checked and their ears are checked and their vaginas are checked. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, obviously, you got to do. They do find a bug on one woman, like, a like she's listening. She's yeah. got an, a listening device in her ear. And they kill her, so that's unfortunate. But the our three ladies, Heather, Angel, and White Star, do make it through security checks. They're given a room. And in Angel Wolf's room, she's like puts on a robe and she's laying in bed, really seductively sleeping, when out comes a tarantula. Yeah. And this is the sci-fi element. <laughs> crawls up her leg. She grabs sitting next to her desk is the Sindhu Bible. <laughs> really, you know, this whole film has a ton of props. Yeah. They all have this kind of fascist looking yeah uh, it's a little nazi yeah with the way the symbols and stuff look mm-hmm. the banners are really cool because they have a circle with a snake inside mm-hmm. i would love i wonder if there any of those props survived it would be cool to have a sindhu flag but the bible also has a symbol and it's a sindhu bible and she picks it up and she smashes the tarantula but don't worry everybody it's revealed that that tarantula is actually a robot. And she delivers the line, I hate robot spiders. <laughs> what, what does that have to do with anything? What was As it though doing? she encounters them so often that she hates them. Oh my gosh, yes. So she's killed this robot spider and the battles have begun. And so they're like on this island now. We're, we're in the middle of it. Yeah. And then White Star escapes one night and finds another woman who is revealed randomly to have been missing from somewhere in California. And she's like, he keeps us here and we're trapped. And the mind washing didn't take to me. But apparently there's like an underground chamber full of mind brainwashed women who I guess are going to fight for Sindhu at some point. Yeah, that's Even the plan. Though- it's weird, though, because they have a full army of dudes wearing silk robes already <laughs> that are apparently good fighters. I mean, bigger the army, the better, I suppose. And this is where we first see the gorilla. And now you can explain the gorilla. Too. So the gorilla, there is a gorilla that's like a hunting dog, but a gorilla. They have it on a chain and it sniffs out this escaped prisoner. Is that what it's doing? Yeah, it basically finds her. Okay. And the way the gorilla plays into this is that it was not part of the script. (laughs) Okay. But somebody arrived on set one day and had a gorilla costume in their car. And Jim said, 
awesome. Let's put a gorilla in the movie. <laughs> it's a pretty good costume. I'm kind of glad they did. <laughs> it adds a nice element to this film. Just for no reason. Just a gorilla running around. Oh my gosh. Okay. And we should go back to Agent Rick Stanton. He is like, oh no, I got to get back to her. She forgot her purse. And also, I think he, he discovers the eye in the purse, right? Yeah, because it's glowing. Oh, right. He's sitting at his... He's in his apartment drinking Jack Daniels and looking at Playboys when <laughs> the when the bag starts glowing That's red right. and, and then it floats out and floats up above. Uh-huh. He's like, okay, something's not right. So he like, I guess just puts on some scuba gear and goes to the island. Yep. Where he's, I don't know what his plan is. I guess he wants to like help her. How did he? Did he swim to the island? I guess so. And every shot of the island, we should say, it's like clearly some like rocky space. And they just set off smoke bombs or something on it. <laughs> it's and really shot cool. it like it's a huge island. It looks really good. Actually, that set design, there's like the whole secret island has like painted backdrops with these crazy Oh, scenes. yeah, the whole map painting to mm-hmm. give this illusion that it's this massive yeah. kind of sci-fi island with all these huge buildings. It's really Roger Cormany. And yeah. I was saying, because we later in, in the movie get to see a lot of the set pieces where they're inside running around through the island, and they're really, really fun. Roger Corman did not produce this film, but because Jim had worked for him for so long and this was his big shot... He did allow his studio to build the sets for him. Uh, so that's where these all come from because they okay. look really great and they add a ton to the movie. They do. Also, before we move on towards the ending here, the um, when the battles start, there is a scene that I love, which is the trumpets. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I forgot. Trump, trumpet calls. <laughs> and then just a random dude with a gong that hits it. And I think I couldn't just I couldn't figure this out. Throughout the whole film, every time somebody dies, it cuts to that guy hitting a gong. Yeah. Man, it's really funny. I, this film is supposed to be really cheesy and yes, funny. clearly. But a lot of the humor does land really well. I mean, it's so dumb. The acting's really bad and the delivery's horrible, but a lot of the jokes are pretty funny. Yeah, and uh, Heather, the the girl from the prison, she is a lot of comic relief. And she's actually in uh, Chopping Mall as well, just one of the characters from Chopping Mall. So. Yeah, as is. Are we going to get to the big reveal of who... Yeah, might as well. Because he also had a little cameo in Chopping Mall as well. The one and only Angus Scrim, who is the tall man from Phantasm, is our lead villain. He's Sindhu, yes. Yeah, it's really cool. And he seduces... White Star. White Star. Does he, Um, like... I don't know what happened. She ends up, like, in a stupor laying on his table, and there's a snake involved somehow. But it's unclear what's happened. Yeah, but he basically, at the end, is... He's ready to battle it out, because... The island, we're skipping a lot, but the island has gone south because they've freed the slaves now and the women are causing total havoc. Yep, as we do. Sindhu is losing his grip on his magical island and he is not happy about it. He just wants those eyes. So he is going to have a final battle here mm-hmm. where he pulls out the penis laser gun <laughs> and he's going to shoot Angel. Mm-hmm. Except... As this is all happening. Oh, the one, remember the the one that the gorilla found hiding in the jungle? She gets zapped by the laser, so we yeah. get to see what happens. Yeah. So it's going to go towards Angel, but uh, her her boyfriend. Agent Rick Stanton. I said he looks like Bo from um, She-Ra. Oh, yeah. He's got that mustache. They put a choker on him. And he him. put a choker on him. <laughs> so he's got that 
80s He-Man look. Yeah, and actually all of the costumes for these ladies and gentlemen are over the top amazing. They're really fun. But he pops out of nowhere with a axe? Yep. And chops off Sindhu's <laughs> head. Yeah. It's really cool. It's really uh was a surprise to me. It's a special movie. This and you know, so of course they wrap it up, they defeat the evil. Blah blah blah. They get to have all the women get to escape because they battled everybody. It's so much fun. <laughs> like this whole movie is a romp and yeah. it's just over the top goofy and if you're going why did we dissolve into chaos at this end description it's because that's how the movie is it's just like battles it really yeah there's not a whole lot to discuss otherwise and leave something to go watch and see but maybe it's really fun this film ends leaving you just being like what what did i watch what did i watch but at the same time you knew what you were in for with the opening shot so <laughs> that's true what a way to come out swinging, though. For Jim, I mean, he sets the stage right away that this is the type of director he's going to be. Yep. He follows it up with Chopping Mall. That's his next movie. It's and then I think one. Deathstalker 2, which is also really fun. So, I mean, he does... Everything is going really well in this for uh-huh. him. If you don't like this movie, then you just don't get this type of humor. Yeah. But it's really fun. The, the big thing that we do need to discuss that we haven't yet is the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. It's so good. It is. And I'm not being funny when I say it. Like, it has no business being this good. No, it should be like, weep, weep, weep. Yeah, it's an awesome synth soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Like, so many good score elements to it. And I thought, oh, it must be Chuck who did Chopping Mall, because that's a really excellent Mm -hmm. score, too. I was shocked when the credit came up. And it's Alan Howarth, who worked with John Carpenter for Mm -hmm. years and years. I mean, he's just as well known, and he's... He and Carpenter, I did a whole episode on this when I covered John Car- when I did that deep dive on mm-hmm. John Carpenter, but he was his partner in crime and really was responsible for the when Carpenter gets all the credit for his cool synth sounds, Carpenter pushed the keys, but Alan's the one that patched in everything and yeah. made those sounds. So he's really deserves a lot more credit than he's still gotten. But he went on to do his own thing too after mm-hmm. he and, and Carpenter went their own ways. But he started back with Escape from New York, and then basically did every Carpenter film way up through, definitely through They Live. I think he tapped out in Prince of Darkness, maybe, or something like that. But Mm -hmm. I was so shocked that it was him doing the score. And then it made perfect sense, because this is a really, really good sound. Probably one of the best synth scores I've heard in a movie that we've covered in a really long time. So that was needed a moment to mention. And I looked, and it did. It never got a vinyl release originally. Or anything. Oh. It got a CD release in 1990. What? But then more recently, Waxwork, of course, I think it was Waxwork, uh, reissued it on vinyl in oh. like 2016. So that may be one that I pick up because okay. there were several. Usually you get one good theme and then a lot of filler. Mm-hmm. But everything throughout this whole film, I remember multiple scenes in this being like, why is this score so good mm-hmm. with considering what I'm watching happening on screen right now. It, it is a little bit of a discrepancy. I feel discrepancy. like you did a really good job. Maybe a little too good. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, good. Speaking of doing too good of a job, I have this week's fun fact. Ooh. So this was Jim's big break, as mm-hmm. we mentioned. It was given, he was given the opportunity by a theater owner who needed to make a film, and Jim didn't know at the time, but basically the film was just going to be a a tax loss 
for whatever legal reasons. Okay. He just needed to fulfill some obligation. So he's like, sure, kid, you can take the reins. Jim, not knowing this, gave it his all and like really took this seriously and tried to deliver an amazing first film. And the result was it was supposed to just be buried and go nowhere because it yeah. was just a write-off. And when the theater owner saw how much effort he put in and how good it turned Aww. out, he decided to give it a theatrical run. So it actually did get a theater run. It opened limited at first, June 22nd, 1984, and it made money and then got a wider release in 85. Oh. So it went on to, to do okay for itself. So it's, all that cleavage. it's pretty funny because originally um, it was it was not meant to even be seen. Interesting. Yeah. And, and then it went on to get a VHS release, as I mentioned, Lightning Video put it out. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, like all the films we cover, it, it picked up an audience from there. But man, what a fun film. I, a lot of charm to it. Yes. A lot of stupidity. It's, it's silly. It's exactly what you expect from a, a low, you know, low budget sci-fi kind of exploitation film from the early 80s. It delivers exactly what you want yeah, when so you watch that kind of film. I would recommend it. If yeah. you're into it, why not watch it? It's pretty fun. I'd like to track down a copy, actually. Lightning's one of the only distributors I do have a pretty big collection of. I don't, I'm not trying to get them all the titles because I have a lot of bad ones, but I have a whole shelf devoted to Lightnings and I'm only, I was only after a couple more, but I think this one's, mm-hmm. it's going to have to go on the list now because I really did enjoy this one quite a bit. So that's it. Uh, unless you got anything else to mention about it. I don't. Uh, I'm really glad we covered this. It was, it's nice when you go into something that you haven't seen and then you come out yeah. Enjoying it. We did it last time too. We're, We've had a good yeah, two in a, a row. We're on a streak right now. So of like new surprises to both of us. Yeah. Old surprises to everybody else. I don't know. But when you run a podcast, you really gotta be like, we need stuff to watch. So Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, we need something. Okay, everybody. Well, that's it. Oh, if you did want to check it out and you, you don't have the VHS or the DVD or whatever, it is streaming on Tubi for free. Nice. Tubi, like our go-to. It's Man, their yeah. selection is incredible. Yeah, it is. Saved me a lot of money from buying BS on VHS. So that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to follow us, we're on Instagram at Lasergraves. As always, go check out our friends, Bad Taste Video Podcast, Reconcinimation, uh, Dead With My Friends, Neon Brainiacs. They're all, all these guys are out there doing fun stuff. Go listen to their shows as well. And if you want to check any of our back episodes, we're at lasergraves.com or wherever you get your podcast. And I guess that is it. Until next time. Thanks uh, for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.